0: And I think a lot of founders can spend anywhere from, you know, four to six months trying to raise their first initial round and doing kind of tons of research on the web, trying to figure out, you know, which funds would be a good fit for them, which partners at those firms would be a good fit for them, and how to even have that conversation.
1: That's Ray Wang, the director of First Round Capital's Dorm Room Fund, the largest student run venture firm in the nation. They've invested in over 150 startups, We've gone on to raise more than 300 million from investors like Andreessen Horowitz, Google Ventures, Sequoia Capital, and Y Combinator. Before joining First Round Capital, Ray helped build products and community as a product manager and global community lead at General Assembly. What Ray is talking about is the challenge of finding the right investors, something that she spends a lot of her time helping their founders do and that will soon be available to other founders through an exciting new product that you can subscribe to on Product Hunt upcoming called VCWiz. This is Hack to Start, a podcast that focuses on amazing people who have an interesting story or perspective to share, and their insights on how they got to the level of success they have today. I'm Franco Variano, and today we're speaking with Ray Wang, the Director of First Round Capital's Dorm Room Fund, the largest student-run venture firm in the nation. Before joining First Round Capital to run and grow the Dorm Room Fund, Ray was part of the team at General Assembly, helping to build the global community around their new online and mobile products. Ray joins us to share her story, how she got into startups, how she approaches building online and offline communities, what it's like growing the Dorm Room Fund, and much more. So let's get started. Hey, Ray. Thanks so much for being on the show today.
0: Hi, Franco. Really happy to be here.
1: Yeah, we're excited to have you on the show just ahead of your East Coast trip for dorm room fun now that school's back in session. But before we dive into all that, can you tell us more about yourself? Where are you from and what did you study?
0: Sure. Um, So the where are you from question is always a tricky one for me to answer. Um, I've grown up in a lot of different places. I was born in Harbin, China originally, which is the really far north of China, um, almost southern Russia, if you will. It's a city known for being famed for their ice festivals in the winter. It's a really cold spot, even colder than Ottawa in the great north.
1: (laughs) That's Um, that's pretty incredible.
0: Yeah, from there uh, moved to Beijing, and then moved to the UK um, when I was really young, and then moved to the Boston area. Thought I was gonna study science growing up because both of my parents are scientists. My dad's a molecular biologist. My mom is a cardiologist. So, kind of um, having a science and technology focus was always something that. Um, They were really keen on, but being kind of more of a a rebellious middle school and high school student, you know, you never want to do what your parents want you to do, right? So um, I was like, I don't want to study science. I want to do something creative and study something in liberal arts. So I actually ended up studying international relations when I was in college um, and thought I wanted to go into diplomacy and law. But then through kind of my, the early part of my career, um, ended up focusing a lot more on, on marketing and brand and then community and their product. And funny enough, I'm now back in entrepreneurship, working with a lot of students who are studying science and technology, and I've become a really big champion for STEM education. So it's funny how sometimes things come full circle.
1: Yeah, definitely. So how did you go from international relations and law towards tech and startups in that case? How did that passion emerge for you?
0: Um, In many different ways. So uh, my first job out of college was working for a really large marketing agency called Ogilvy, and my client there was the United Nations. And uh, we ended up working with them on a a big kind of campaign for uh, the climate change conference that was happening in Copenhagen that year. Um, And I really loved the work that I was doing with the UN, but I really, you know, kind of was drawn to uh, less of the policy work, but more of sort of coming up with the, the brand strategy and kind of the positioning work so After working on that project with my colleagues, we actually decided to start a new practice within this larger agency that was focused on sustainability brand marketing communication. So that was really my first stage of entrepreneurship, um, kind of creating this new business unit with a large kind of, you know, 25,000 person agency. And then after a few years of working there, you know, I realized that I loved kind of being in that space, but I wanted to work at a much smaller company that was more kind of lean and nimble and could execute faster. Um, so from there, I joined a really small social impact startup called Good Magazine um, that was just based in LA at the time. And I love the work and the content that they were producing, didn't really know what I was signing up for um, the job that I applied to. If I remember correctly, was called special projects manager. If you ever applied a role called special projects manager, just know that it'll probably, you know, kind of be um, a very spontaneous role. So I was I was hired to become the special projects manager, and it just so happened that the time when I was joining them, uh, Good was transitioning from a mostly kind of in print magazine into an online community Sort of network for civic engagement. So that's really where I got my first taste of community and product management and thinking through what that looks like. And one of the first partners that I worked with while I was at Good was a young ed tech startup called General Assembly. Um, and I was really drawn to their mission of, you know, sort of transforming 21st century education and help finding, helping everyone find work that they love. So I ended up joining GA early on in the days, and that's kind of what took me to uh, the world of entrepreneurship and education.
1: That sounds really cool. So on the note of General Assembly, or GA, in 2013, you ended up joining the team as a product manager and global community lead. You touched a little bit on the mission there, but can you tell us more about what General Assembly is all about and how you created the opportunity to join the team there?
0: Sure. Yeah. You know, I think partly because I had such, you know, sort of an unconventional career path full of lots of zigs and zags growing up. I think that's why General Assembly's mission really resonated with me, because, you know, General Assembly's target was really kind of for career switchers in a way. Right. So people who had studied a certain thing, but then realized that their interests were in tech business and helping them kind of make that uh, make that transition pretty quickly. So I thought what you doing at the time was really cool, kind of running these 12-week intensive experiences to teach students everything from, you know, web development to digital marketing to product management. And I really loved how outcomes-focused it was back in the early days. You know, one of the key metrics was how many graduates would be able to land a job in the career that they were looking for within 90 days and was so impressed that, you know, kind of quarter after quarter, GA was really able to help its students achieve that um, and help them really find meaningful work. So, you know, when I first joined GA, um, it was still a pretty interesting time. They were fairly small, maybe kind of 50 or 60 people, uh, mostly focused on, on sort of in the classroom education, right? So they had a campus in, in New York City, a campus in Philadelphia, um, and that was really it. And they were starting to kind of think about sort of how do we make our education more accessible to people who aren't in the New York metro market, right? And how do we kind of empower everyone to learn about technology, business design? And that's sort of where, you know, sort of the charge that I took on was helping them kind of think through different ways to expand their education and their business beyond sort of the brick and mortar education model. And the first product that I worked on was an online product called Front Row, which was kind of like um, think of it like as a, a Netflix for education, right? Or where you could kind of watch and subscribe to a series of short uh, videos about different topics from, you know, HTML and CSS to JavaScript to sort of SEO um you know, sort of things that you might need if you were uh, looking to kind of learn these key entrepreneurship skills. And that from there, we started to kind of, you know, grow that business into everything from fully baked blended online courses to sort of, um, you know, bite-sized mobile content and really expanding the access to, to entrepreneurship education.
1: Wow, that sounds super exciting. So challenge-wise, what was it like helping GA transition from in-person to online courses? And what was it like trying to scale some of these programs and compete with other emerging online education platforms?
0: Yeah, you know, um, everything was a challenge because I think uh, we were so early that everything was just learning by doing, right? At that point competition wasn't really our biggest challenge because I think GA was still sort of the first mover in the space. And most of the other boot camps were just really focused on kind of the core business and not really expanding to the online model yet. Um, a lot of the way that we built products at General Assembly back in the early days was just through trial and error. Um, one good example of this is a career coaching product that I worked on. It came it was born out of this hackathon that we did at GA every quarter called DevFest, uh, where we just come together for 72 hours and come up with new product ideas. And literally, you know, we built kind of a landing page to test this concept of career coaching overnight to see how it would do. And the next day, um, a bunch of people had signed up and we're like, Oh, well, you know, I guess we now have a career coaching product. And uh, my colleague and I were, were running this at the time. We're like, well, who's going to be the career coaches? And, uh, you know, we didn't even have time to kind of go out and, and hire people to to support the new users that we assigned signed up. So we just then by default became the career coaches, right? And thankfully, I had a background in marketing. And uh, the theme that we were running it around was digital marketing career coaching. But I think that was the biggest challenge is sort of really kind of you know, figuring out how to be really, really, really lean and scrappy and, and constantly kind of just wearing multiple hats and, and balancing lots of different priorities to be able to figure out uh, what your users want and what the right products
1: are. Absolutely. And so speaking about the users and your mention of the community there, how did you approach building a community around GA? How did the in-person community experience translate into the online platform?
0: Yeah, you know, that's a really great question. I think it's something that a lot of community builders struggle with. Uh, When GA first started, um, it was actually just a physical co-working space. Everything was happening at the 902 Broadway flagship campus. And it was really easy to build community just because there was a lot of density there, right? You would just sort of get to know people walking through the halls. As the students kind of scaled the number, uh, it became much harder. And we, you know, used to have things like weekly happy hours or um, events at GA, but it became really tough for our students to come back onto campus all the time, right? So um, one of the products I was working on was to kind of think through um, how can we bring GA to where our students are and still help them feel a sense of belonging, connectedness to GA without necessarily having to step foot back onto campus all the time. So What we ended up building there was a mobile app called Hub, and Hub was all about learning through events that were related to tech business design that were happening in your city. And they weren't events put on by GA, they were events put on by the local community, uh, but they were curated by a set of curators that, you know, sort of I handpicked that really reflected kind of GA's values and sort of had the credibility of this being a event that's going to be really valuable for your growth and development. So I think oftentimes one thing that I've learned is as you scale, you can no longer you know, be able to control everything in-house. Um, you have to give away as your Legos, as um, this famous first-round review piece says, and really be able to give ownership to the members of your community. So what we did here is we brought in about a dozen curators per city where GA was active. You know, We had a, uh, a curator by each topic, so a marketing curator, a product management curator, a mobile curator, things like that. And we gave them the ability to kind of uh, select the events that they thought were the best in their city, and then use that as a way to connect them with the greater GA community. So if you downloaded Hub and you were a GA student, you could kind of browse all of the events that were happening in your city. If you were interested in one, you could highlight it, and then you could see the other students from your course who are also going to be going to that event and be able to go and sort of You know, learn about uh, a topic and kind of deepen your learning there, but also reconnect with your classmates uh, where you're already going to be rather than having to go back to kind of a campus to do that.
1: Yeah, that makes sense and sounds super exciting. So from there, you ended up joining the team at First Round Capital as the director of the Dorm Room Fund. So first off, can you tell us a bit more about First Round Capital and how you created the opportunity to join the team there?
0: So that was, I think, um, a really sort of serendipitous opportunity Um, You know, I was really uh, happy at General Assembly and, you know, sort of thought that I was going to be continuing my career um, in product. Um, I didn't really have a particular interest in venture, um, and to be completely frank, I didn't even know much about sort of the VC space at all. The first time that I heard about First Round Capital was actually because of a First Round Review article that, you know, someone had put in our Slack channel for PMs uh, that was about product management. And I read the article and was really impressed by the quality of the content. So I started following First Round on Twitter. I'm silly to admit that for the first kind of initial few weeks, I actually thought First Round was a publication, you know, kind of like the Harvard Business Review. Because all they tweeted were these really kind of thoughtful kind of pieces of content. Um, And it only took me a while to realize that they were actually a VC firm. And then uh, one night they tweeted that they were hiring a director of Dorman Fund. Um, And I never heard of Dorman Fund before then. But I was sort of, it piqued my interest just by having kind of a unique name. And I was like, what's Storm and Fund? Clicked it and read the Medium post to find out more. and. As I was reading the post, you know, I just got more and more intrigued. It was really about everything that I cared about, which is about entrepreneurship and education. The model was so unique, I had never seen anything like that so more, where it was really kind of for and by the community. So I was super kind of interested in learning more, uh, but the role was in San Francisco and I was in New York and I just sort of settled into my New York place and wasn't sure if I wanted to move. So I kind of put it off and was like, you know what, I'll, I'll think about this later. And maybe later in the week, I'll apply. So I went to bed. But that night, I literally laid awake in bed, kind of still thinking about the role. And I was like, you know, screw it, I'm just gonna send out a cold email and learn more. So I got out of bed at like 1am and sent a cold email to uh, to Finn Barnes, who I work really closely with now, kind of intrigued to learn more. And Never expected to to hear back, but a few days later, uh, Finn responded, and we started talking about the role. And then, lo and behold, a few weeks after that, I was packing up and moving to San Francisco to join First Shot in the Dorm Room Fun team.
1: No way! What an amazing story. That sounds so cool.
0: It's pretty crazy in retrospect, uh, but that's literally how it happened.
1: Amazing. So from a tweet to a Medium post to living in SF, that's really cool.
0: Yeah.
1: So what's the Dorm Room Fund all about and what really sparked the need for it?
0: Dorm Room Fund is all about uh, students investing in students. It was created back in the fall of 2012. Um, it's really the brainchild of Josh Koppelman, who's the founder of First Round, and Fifth Barnes, who's a partner at First Round. And if you think about kind of the you know sort of funding environment back in 2012, um, it was really difficult for anyone who was a full-time student to kind of be taken seriously by investors, right? If you were in school and you had a startup idea. First of all, getting even getting in touch with an investor was really difficult, and then when you did pitch, um, you know they would say, "Well, are you going to drop out of school?" And if you said no, then they didn't think that took your company and your startup dreams actually serious most of the accelerators and incubators um, that were around at the time also required you to drop out and Josh he actually had started his first company when he was a junior at Penn and sort of a, a strong believer that university ecosystems are one of the best places to start a company and furthermore he thought if more students had the opportunity to start companies then you know that would be a beneficial thing for everyone and you know entrepreneurship shouldn't only be limited to students with kind of the the safety net and the risk appetite to be able to drop out and start companies, right? So he thought, you know, what if First John could create a fund that was specifically focused on... Empowering students to start companies while still in school. So that's where the idea of dorm room fund initially came out of. And then kind of in thinking through all of the different ways that this fund would operate, you know, there were a couple of different ideas that were tossed around the time, everything from sort of first round partners going to campuses and holding office hours or sort of pitch events to sort of running a big kind of pitch competition. But Josh then kind of thought, you know, who knows a student better than their peers, right? When you're a first time founder, especially if you're a first time student founder it's not like you have a ton of work experience to be able to speak to you know all you can really kind of go off of is how does this student kind of operate in a group project setting or during a hackathon? Or what is a student like in class or in the dorm, right? And Josh really believed that students would be the ones who would know their peers best. So then he thought, you know, what if we actually gave students the power to make the investment decisions and had the fund be completely run by students too, so that it was a true community where it wasn't just for students, but it was also completely led by students. And that's where the idea of Dorm Room Fund really started. They decided to launch it as an experiment um, at Penn back in fall of 2012 just to see what would happen. And then from there, since then, you know, Dorm Room Fund has grown to now operating across the country with hubs in Philly, of course, but also in New York, Boston, and the Bay Area.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. So how did the Dorm Room Fund grow across these campuses? And what's been your approach in terms of recruiting, you know, the students to join the team?
0: So the first year um, at Penn, um, Josh, Finn, and Cece, who was my predecessor, uh, were the ones going to campus, you know, sort of meeting with students locally, and they recruited the first team of dorm room fund students. From there, though, it's really been students replacing themselves every single year and running the entire interview process. So. Um, The way that it works now is it's a completely open application. Um, We want to make it accessible for anyone anywhere to be able to apply to join the Dorm Room Fund team um, who's within kind of one of the greater Dorm Room Fund regions. And it's an open application. And, you know, sort of you do a little bit of kind of a written exercise to talk about why you're interested in Dorm Room Fund and what your experience is. But we're not really looking for anyone with prior venture experience or really, you know, prior startup or tech experience, Uh, we're really looking to bring on students who are passionate about a particular sector. And we like to bring on students with sort of a wide variety of knowledge too, right? So we have everyone on the team now from medical researchers to, uh, you know, artificial intelligence PhD students to uh, philosophy majors, to, you know, of course, engineering students, to food scientists. And we think kind of that diversity of of interests makes our teams really unique. And then it's the, you know, current partners who are responsible for reviewing all of the applications, interviewing all of the candidates and then selecting all of the new partners. Um, And then I will work with them to sort of help onboard and train and educate all of the new partners and help them think through, you know, kind of the investment um, decision-making process. So just a quick shout out there. If anyone is interested in joining the Dormen Fund team who's still in school, you can just go to join.drf.vc and get all of the information there.
1: That's awesome. And we'll make sure to include those links in the show notes so that any students listening can go back and check that out. Awesome. Thank you. And so coming out of that background of diverse students, there's been some pretty amazing success stories to come out of the dorm room fund. Can you share a little bit more about why this is and what some of those awesome stories are?
0: I think so many, right? I think what's really exciting to me is sometimes when you talk about the fact that you're working with students who are starting companies, everyone tends to think that, you know, they're building the next Facebook or Snapchat, right? Or it's all sort of consumer uh, mobile apps or, you know, social networking sites. But I really don't think that's the case at all. I think students are actually really ambitious, and they're more likely to target bigger, more moonshot ideas. And I also think students as investors are more optimistic than sort of your traditional investors and they are more likely to invest in some of these big ideas as well, right? So I think a couple of good examples of that is Dorman Fund back in the early days when the New York team was just starting, invested in a company um, that was at the time called OneName and is now called Blockstack that was trying to build a decentralized internet. And at that time, like blockchain wasn't even a thing that investors talked about. It was only for sort of like the hyper niche academic nerds who were super kind of, you know, deep in this area. Um, so uh, Manit and Ryan, who were the founders at Prince and Mineet, wrote his whole PhD sort of about blockchain, you know, pitched the Dorm room Fund team. I think most seed stage investors back in 2013 would have sort of turned that down and said no, because they just didn't even understand you know, sort of what was happening there. But Dorm room Fund New York said yes. And then from there, you know, that led to um, a seed round that Union Square Ventures led. And then most recently, you know, Blockstack is now sort of, I think, one of the leading companies in the blockchain space. They've continued to raise capital from everyone from Fred Wilson to Navala Angelist. They've even raised their own $25 million fund now to kind of fund blockchain investments. They're, you know, really sort of bringing this power of the decentralized web to the masses. And it's awesome to see a student kind of being the first one to identify that trend.
1: Wow, that's really incredible. So you and the team at the Dorm Room Fund are trying to create, you know, more of these types of stories. And on that note, the Dorm Room Fund has recently released an upcoming product on Product Hunt called VC Wiz. So what's the product all about and what motivated you and the team to launch it?
0: That's a great question. So, you know, I think one of my personal motivators has always been access, right? From, you know, the work that I did at General Assembly and making entrepreneurship education more accessible to even Dorm Room Fund with making funding more accessible for students and One of the things that always bugged me a little bit about the VC industry is how network based it is. A lot of VC firms, um, when you go to their website, you know, they don't list their emails. And the only way to kind of get to a partner at that fund is to be referred by someone within that community. And. I think that shouldn't be the case. And, you know, I really want to make VC and venture sort of more equitable and accessible for everyone. So that's something that we try to do with Dorman Fund is I spend a lot of my time working with our earlier stage founders, introducing them to the most relevant investors. And it's really hard to figure out you know, sort of who the most relevant investors are for your startup. And I think a lot of founders can spend anywhere from, you know, four to six months trying to raise their first initial round and doing kind of tons of research on the web, trying to figure out, you know, which funds would be a good fit for them, which partners at those firms would be a good fit for them, and how to even have that conversations. Um, And I think now that we've been doing this for five years, you know, we've gotten pretty good at it. So we were thinking, could we actually build a a software tool to help, you know, first-time founders with their fundraise? And initially, um, we were thinking that it would just sort of be, Almost like a, a database where you could sort of search it and be able to find sort of a short list of investors that were relevant. Uh, but then we were lucky enough to bring on Yassif, um, who was a former Dorman Fund uh, managing partner in Boston as our head of engineering and he's doing his thesis right now at MIT on machine learning. So um, it's actually been awesome working with him because he's been able to kind of put all sorts of magic into VCWiz. So the product now does is much more than just a database. Um, it's actually going to be able to tell you sort of, you know, the investors that are most relevant to your company. It's going to give you all of the information that exists on the internet about that particular investor. And then it's going to help you get in touch with that investor and sort of help track all of the communications that you have with that investor as well. So I'm super, super excited to launch this. It'll be coming out uh, later this fall, and you know, hopefully it'll be a really helpful tool for all first-time founders anywhere, uh, not just students, to be able to find the, the investors that are most relevant to them.
1: Wow, that sounds really helpful. Really excited to see this launch.
0: Yeah, me too.
1: So what's next for the Dorm Room Fund?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, it's really about kind of, you know, one continuing to build the best community of entrepreneurial students in the entire country. So uh, it's not like, now that we've made 150 investments, we can just chill and, and sit back. We still want to be able to, you know, sort of increase our pace and fund more and more students year after year. So there's always kind of the hustle of, of finding the best students, working with them on their ideas, investing in them, and then helping their companies continue to grow. And then I think the other part is figuring out how do we how do we make Dorman Fund the best possible product for students everywhere, for first-time founders everywhere. And that's really sort of, you know, kind of my own bias of community as a product (laughs) playing into play a little bit there is I think that, you know, we have an incredible opportunity to to really make Dorm Room Fund more than just a fund, but build a a whole suite of services that can make starting a company really easy, hopefully, for first-time founders and be part of that journey with them along the entire way.
1: Well, you guys are obviously off to a great start, so I'm really excited to see how the Dorm Room Fund continues to grow and impact entrepreneurs.
0: Yeah, I'm super excited to see um, kind of the next, you know, year for Dorm Room Fund too.
1: So on a slightly different note, and I'm sure you get this a lot being involved with the first round review and all, but what are some of the most impactful tools or resources that you've come across recently or find yourself routinely recommending?
0: love um i love the first round review because it's so focused on on actual tactics right i think there's a lot of um there's a lot of content that's out on the web that is really just sort of high level and doesn't kind of get into the nitty gritty and i think what's amazing about the first round review is that every single article on there is super super actionable um so you read it and it tells you exactly how to do something and you can sort of take that as really a, a guide and start implementing it right away. So that's definitely like sort of my first go-to resource when I'm uh, looking for sort of a piece of actionable advice. And then I think, you know, through working at First Round, I've gotten the pleasure to, to know some of the folks who have been featured on the review. Um, One of my favorites is Kim Scott, who has been featured on the review a couple of times for her piece on radical candor. And I think that's one of the best articles that I've ever read when it comes to to management. And Kim has recently um, published a book called radical candor as well. So I think if you, if you are a new manager, uh, or even if you're a season manager, but you're not great at giving feedback, both, you know, critical feedback, I think is something that a lot of managers struggle with um, and figuring out how to do that well in a really constructive and positive light. Um, I definitely recommend that book. It's um, It's been really sort of valuable to me to, to read.
1: Wow, that sounds like a great read. And again, we'll provide a link to that and the first round review, just in case any listeners haven't yet had a chance to check it out. I highly recommend it.
0: Yeah, awesome content.
1: So do you have any personal models or an outlook that you live by and would share with others?
0: You know, one thing is just don't be afraid to reach out. And I think if I've learned anything in sort of how I got to first round and my own sort of zigzag path there is... I think a lot of people tend to sort of doubt, you know, sort of their their skill sets and their abilities, uh, especially when they're trying to, um, you know, sort of transition and they're not exactly sure sort of what's transferable and sort of how to attempt that outreach. And my advice is just go for it, right? Like if you have nothing to lose by reaching out cold to someone, um, I reached out cold to First Round, you reached out cold to me, and now we're doing a podcast interview, right? Um, so I think that's sort of a personal motto is if you're curious about something just reach out um, worst case scenario that person doesn't respond to you but you haven't lost anything aside from you know the five minutes that it took you to draft that email best case scenarios it could take you to a really awesome opportunity and you could build a new relationship
1: absolutely i couldn't agree more what a great way to end the episode ray thanks so much for taking the time to be on the show today
0: awesome thanks so much for having me
1: If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd love to hear about it and have you share it with friends. Find us on Facebook or Twitter at HacktoStart or drop us a line, hey at hacktostart.com. You can also subscribe to avoid missing any future episodes by finding Hack to Start on Apple Podcasts, Breaker Audio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening.